The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. who are visiting, but we'll persist through it. It feels like there's a frog that won't come out, but honestly, it's more like a pony because it's a little horse. Um, I've been working on that all week. Uh, if you have your Bibles, can I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are in the second week of a series on this book, and uh, our series is called Growing In. Today's message is Growing in Authenticity. Growing in Authenticity. Um, as you do that, just want to share a little thought just to sort of get us underway. Um, in our day today, in this country, we're in kind of a transitional phase in a country, as a country in some ways. And I often hear this term thrown around, Australian values. People need to adopt Australian values. Now, I was born here, but I am a child of migrants. I married a migrant. And so for me, I kind of feel like I'm caught between two worlds. I love the westernness of Australia, and I love the multiculturalness of Australia as well. And I sort of think, if we asked everyone here what are Australian values, we're going to get 80 different responses. It's going to be different for each and every one of us. But I reckon there's one we can all agree on, and that is this. We are a fair dinkum country. Some of you are like, what does that even mean? We're true blue. We're the real deal. What we mean is this. I think Australia has long been characterised as a country that values integrity, values honesty, truth, authenticity. This morning, as we're going to look in our reading, it feels like Paul's having an argument with somebody. Somebody has questioned his integrity, and he is trying to establish his own authenticity. But he's also making a point that the Thessalonians are an authentic church. We find that at the end of chapter 1, he says they were so authentic, in fact, that their testimony had gone out to greater Greece and Macedonia. Everybody knew about this church, despite the persecution they were suffering. Despite the fact that Paul had about a month to plant a church. Anyone who's ever church planted, that feels like a very short space of time. But he had to get out of there. And yet the visit was not in vain. It was not without results. Their faith was genuine. Their experience of Jesus was authentic. Now we might ask the question, how did they get there? How did that happen? How do we also see that in our day? How do we see our friends and our family get to this point of authentically experiencing Jesus? So just leave that question mark hanging in your mind. Let's read this reading here this morning, and it will be up on the screen. So chapter 2, we're going to read the first 12 verses uh, of this passage. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please God, people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. 
because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Church, shall we pray? Father, this morning we thank you for this word. We thank you for this amazing story of a church that flourished, Lord, despite the odds being so against them. Father, this morning, we thank you for this example of authenticity that we're going to look at. We pray, Lord, that it might impact us this morning, that we would leave this place wanting to have a more authentic walk with you. Lord, a more uh, obviously authentic walk to those around us, that our lives might be magnetic for your glory, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to point people to you. We want people to see that you are indeed the saviour of this world. Father, would you just anoint this time? Lord, we thank you for your presence in this place, God. Lord, just speak through your word. Amen. 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 So growing in authenticity. Paul picks on two kind of characteristics of his ministry, two things that he's, his ministry was known by. The first is this, that he was a faithful steward of the gospel. He was faithfully entrusted with the word of God. We read there in in verse 4, he says that, um, he says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. This sort of breaks itself down into two areas. Firstly, we see there's a bravery in the preaching of Paul. And by extension, Silas and Timothy, I I must mention that as well. This is about their ministry together. He writes in verse 2, With the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel. Now, that's significant because he's just spoken about Philippi. Now, if you know in Acts, Philippi, there was a pretty nasty thing that went down. Paul's crime was casting out a demon, and yet they threw him into jail. They beat him and Silas. And yet in the middle of the night, Paul's sore feet in chains. What are they doing? They're singing in Christ alone. They're singing Amazing Grace. They're singing hymns of worship to Jesus while they're in chains for the gospel. Paul is talking about a bravery, a boldness that's been forged in fire. They're talking about an ability to preach this gospel that's God-given and has been forged because they've they've seen the opposition they've had to face. And Paul is, is humble enough to point out it's with the help of God. It is not anything, and please don't lose sight. That's kind of an umbrella for a lot of what we're saying today. Don't lose sight of that. A lot of the time you hear a word and it's like, go and do, go and do, go and do. And there is an aspect to that. But this can't be done without grace. This can't be done without the mercy of God. So don't lose sight of that. But he says also that it was in the face of strong opposition. If you have an older Bible, it probably says much contention. This is a sports analogy. All of you sport lovers, this is like, this is like two teams. This is like state of origin, which is fantastic as long as New South Wales are winning. This is like state of origin, two teams that are evenly matched and it's like the slightest little thing gets one team over the line. It's a little bit like that where you're fighting this constant battle, not giving up, keep going, keep going. Paul knew, if anybody knew how difficult serving Jesus was, 
how difficult it was, the beatings that he endured, just the opposition from the Jews and whoever else might be there at that particular time. In the face of much opposition, Paul saw his life as an athletic discipline and not a sprint, mind you, either. He saw it as a marathon. He knew that if today didn't go well, tomorrow's another day. We need to look at that in our lives that way, church. Because if we look at it day to day, we're going to get discouraged. Because today could be terrible. Tomorrow might be an awesome day in ministry. Tomorrow might be a great day in serving the Lord. But today might stink. That's life. That's the way it goes sometimes. Is it any wonder that Jesus himself said these very words? He said, you can't plow a field and look back. You can't be torn between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. But too often we are, often because of uh, opposition and adversary, often because of how difficult the situation is. It's like the Israelites, they want to go back to Egypt. At least they were fed. At least they had leeks and onions, you know, that sort of thing. Sometimes it's easy to look back. Sometimes that's the temptation. But Jesus wants us looking forward. He wants us to be willing to face up by his strength. See, we can't get discouraged by what's going on around us. Paul must have been at times for sure. I mean, he was in this church for a month. Acts says three Sabbaths and he was out of there. And you might think, oh, some good I did. And then, of course, Timothy says, no, Paul, you've done a lot of good. This church is booming. I don't know if you saw the video last week. They, were, they had um, teeth broken and broken arms, but they're like, hey, we're doing good. We're doing great. It wasn't easy. But they had found something eternal that was to replace the temporal pain. They had found something that was going to keep them in the face of what's going on around us. Church, we can't be discouraged by militant atheism. Radical Islam. We can't be discouraged by our loved ones not getting saved. We can't be discouraged by the things that just are in our way and the devil would want us to take our eyes off God in these things. We can't afford to do that. And you won't do that if you have a marathon view of your life, of your ministry. If you see it as a sprint, you might. But I want to encourage you. God is gone before you. God has not, his word doesn't return void. God's word is active, powerful. When we speak it in the face of opposition, you don't know what good you're doing. You have no idea. I shared last time I preached some time ago about a guy called um, Frank Jenner and he preached and preached, never knowing who he'd touch. But he reached thousands of people in countries far flung for the gospel. We don't know how powerful it is, despite how bad it might look, despite how difficult it may be. So church... We need to see Paul's example here, bravery in speaking the truth, bravery in sharing this gospel. But then there's something else he mentions, not just being faithful to the gospel by being brave in his preaching, but by having integrity in his living. And this is kind of a clue as to where a lot of this message is going to sit this morning. Integrity in his living, authenticity, fair income, true blue Christianity. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's talking about. Notice the descriptions that Paul uses here. In verse 4, we read that we didn't come in error. Why? Because the gospel is the truth. It's come from God. We didn't come with impure motive. We didn't come uh, unclean, some versions say. That would have been very interesting for the Jews. They knew what unclean meant. It's like, no, we didn't come like that. We didn't come trying to trick you. Paul didn't come in with emotional manipulation. He wasn't a used car salesman. He wasn't trying to say, hey, just serve Jesus and your life's going to be perfect. No, he preached the whole counsel of God. He didn't do it that way. He wasn't trying to cover up greed. He wasn't using flattery. As we'll see later, Paul actually pays his own way. 
Paul works for himself. He had every right to get a wage from these people. But he says, no, I don't want to be a burden to you. See, ultimately, the key for this integrity is that Paul knew who was watching. And it wasn't just the church. It was God himself. We read that God is, he repeats this over and over, God is my witness. God was our witness. See, if he could praise God in that stinking jail in Philippi, he and Silas, I'm going to suggest to you he's the real deal. I'm going to suggest to you he's true blue. But you might say, well, yeah, okay, whatever. All right. Well, all of this stuff going on and knowing that God is watching him, knowing that, you know, it doesn't matter who's watching or who's not watching, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do what God says he's right. That's integrity. That's authenticity. Paul was the real deal knowing God's eyes were on him. See, church, how often do we live like we feel like no one's watching? Now, no human might be watching you, but we know God's watching. It's almost like the Truman Show. Every move has been traced. Every move God can see. But see, we're happy to rock into work late, knock off a bit early. Ah, it's, you know, it's okay, we'll we'll sort that out later. Steal a a pen or something or steal a fundraising chocolate. Who's ever done that? I'll, I'll put the money in the box later. Of course, you never do. Or what about safe speeding? Five, 10 Ks over, it's all right, no one will catch me. We've all done it. We've all done it. These are the little things. But see, God's not as much interested in the degree of your misdemeanor. God's concerned about the attitude behind that misdemeanor. What is your motivation behind that action? People can see the action, but God sees the beginning point of it. He sees, where did that come from? God sees the heart. God is the witness. And so church, for us, we need to be certain that we're living in integrity, not just before men, but before God. Because if we can't live before God, it will show up before men. If we can't do it right, if our attitude is in the wrong place, the actions are going to betray that in time. As I said before, we love authenticity. I think that's why there's been such a reaction to, I won't, I won't mention his name, the court case that went down a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's been going for a while actually. A certain cardinal got thrown into jail. People are seeing the talk and the walk are not matching. People are seeing that the life just isn't authentic. Our lives need to bear witness to this gospel. God, if the gospel is doing its work in us, it will bear fruit like this church. It will bear fruit in holiness. It will bear fruit in authentic living. So Paul talks about being a faithful steward entrusted with the gospel. He Notice he says the words, he was approved by God. And he was entrusted with this gospel. That idea of steward is used 21, in 21 of the 27 books of the New Testament. It's, it's, and Paul wrote a lot of that, as you know. A lot of the theme is being a good steward of this. A steward doesn't own anything, but they possess what the owner has. A steward, I think of Joseph when I think of this. Joseph was in Potiphar's house. He owned nothing, but he said he had charge of everything in my house. You have charge of what I've got. And he went on to bigger and better things with Pharaoh, as we know. So being a steward of this gospel, it's not ours, it's come from the Lord. But God encourages us and allows us, and by His Spirit, it transforms us. That's what we're talking about. And it transforms those around us when we share it. It changes people. Now, just a word of warning here. Part of being a steward does mean protection. It does mean defense. And we can apply this to, a gospel, to, to the gospel to an extent. But 
You might remember Paul standing there and saying to the Ephesian church, savage wolves are coming. You've got to stand on the truth. And they did. They were so good at that. The only problem was, you fast forward to Revelation and Jesus says, you've done this so well. You have stood on my word. You have been true to what I've said. But, but, but there's just one thing. You have forsaken your first love. And church, let us be people that will stand for truth. Absolutely. But let's not get so caught up in the defensive that we forget the gospel has an offensive part to it. It needs to work in our hearts. We need to speak it and speak it into people's lives. See, church, if that becomes our focus, if we're so caught up in the defense of it, I'll guarantee you it won't bear the fruit in your life that it's meant to. I'll guarantee you, you'll end up a brittle Christian. You'll end up a, a, just an angry Christian, an impatient Christian. Because it's not just about burying that talent in the sand. It's about putting it to work. It's about God's spirit working within us. The gospel changing my life, your life, bearing fruit. What I'm going to say here is kind of like the heartbeat of my message here. When we have an authentic expression of our faith, when our faith is authentically expressed, it helps others have an authentic experience of Jesus. I'm not saying we save people, but what I'm saying is when our lives are holy, when our lives are an example, when we're speaking the gospel and living the gospel, people are drawn to Jesus. People are like, I don't know what that's all about, but I want that. Don't you want that for your life? I would love people to turn around and say, you know that Parramatta Christian Church? That's where you'll meet Jesus. Not just in worship. You'll meet it in the lives of the people. You'll meet it when you talk to them. You'll meet it in fellowship. This is why we say that fellowship matters as much as what we do in here. This is why. So church, let us not just possess the gospel. Let's let it possess us. Amen. Let's let it take hold of our heart. Sharing it, living it with integrity. How does that work out? Well, Dash said it earlier, it's commitment. It's commitment to God's word. It's letting his spirit change us. Not easy, but with God's help, it's possible. Now, before I dive into the second half of this, I know what some of you might be thinking. Andrew, we get it, but this is Paul writing. Paul was an apostle. Silas was a pastor. Timothy was, I don't know, an evangelist or something. These are guys that are big, on, high on the chain, right? They're way up the top. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a worship leader. I'm not a connect group leader. I'm not an elder. Does this really apply to me? Time out for a sec. If you have had any encouraging conversation with anybody, if you've ever had to talk to people, pray with people, if you've ever had to felt the need to just share that God loves you, I submit to you it matters that you live this way as well. And if you look around, that's all of us. If you're a parent, there's pastoring involved. If you're married, there's pastoring involved. If you're single, there's pastoring involved. Who, do you, who knows who you're touching? University, work, school, sports clubs. Every single one of us, this is talking to if we have any degree of encouraging at all, others to keep going or sharing the gospel, it applies to you and me. Living with integrity, living with authenticity. We must be people that trust God with our witness and with living this life of integrity. So firstly, Paul being a, f- a faithful steward. 
But as I said, this integrity thing is really big because we're going to dive in in a second to the second half of this. Paul also sees himself as a loving parent. Not just one that proclaimed the gospel, but one that shepherds, one that helps people to grow, one that walks alongside the church. That's what pastoring is all about. That's what any sort of discipleship is all about. And again, that's something we all do. That's something we all can do. And Paul chooses two amazing images here in the second half of this text. He says in verse, uh, verse 8 that he was like a mother. He was like a nurturing mother. He was gentle. See, Paul had all the authority. A bit further up in the passage, he says, we could have asserted our authority. But in verse 7, it says, instead, we were like young children among you. We were gentle with you. We were loving with you. Now, in my home, I know who's the gentle out of Cheryl and I, and I can promise you it's not me. Dads are different. We just do things a little differently. There's a something about a mother's love that is just, it's, it's unconditional. There's something about the way a mother loves. And it goes on to say not just this gentleness, but there's patience. I mean, <laughs> those of you who are kids, you know what I'm talking about. It's just everything slows right down. You need to slow down to the child's pace. And I, I don't mean the way they run. They'll run faster than we do. But just in terms of let's get going. No, no, it's not going to happen. You know, the maturity takes a lot longer. And we walk with our children because we love them. And Paul's saying he walked with them in the same way. There was a patience to his ministry. There was a gentleness. There was a, a nurture like a nursing mum. Now, this is an incredible picture. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. A mother imparts her life to her child when she's nursing, right? She's imparting of her very self to her son or her daughter. And Paul is saying, this is what I did. I didn't hand you to a hireling. I didn't hand you to somebody else. I hand fed you. I gave you the word of God. I prayed with you. I walked with you. That's what mothering is like. That's what parenting is like. This incredible bond of trust and intimacy. If you've ever seen a nursing mum, it's just like mum and baby, they're just looking at each other. They're just, you know, just developing from the word go, this rapport. That's the picture of this pastoring Paul's t- saying to us. It's not just about the preaching. It's about living life with each other. It's about us walking with each other intimately. Something else too. For us as maybe the more mature Christians, there's two things. This takes time. I don't know about you, but if you've ever nursed a baby, you can't really do anything. You're just kind of there, just waiting until that's done. It takes time. It means setting aside other things like, no, we're going to do this now. But it also, doesn't it put a responsibility on what we're feeding ourselves if we're going to feed other people? Doesn't it mean that we can't give what we haven't had imparted to us, can we? It's just not possible. There's a responsibility for us to be in God's word. There's a responsibility for us to be in prayer, in worship, in God's presence. We grow in authenticity through intimacy in this same way. See, verse 8, I think, is the heartbeat of this very passage. Paul points out that it wasn't just sharing the gospel. He says, we shared our very lives with you. Now, that's got to make us stop and think. Because there is always, and, and as a preacher, I love the idea of sharing the gospel. But there's such an emphasis on that that we often lose sight of the 
intimacy side, the family side, the love side of Christianity, of discipleship. We've just had the Graham tour in Sydney and that was an incredible, incredible uh, week all across Australia. But I want to tell you something. If any of those converts don't get into a church, if they don't find themselves in fellowship among believers, I'll guarantee you they will struggle if they hang on to Christ at all. The ones that have gone on with God and you know in your life, I know in my life, it's because we're surrounded by friends, family who love Jesus. We know that. See, fellowship builds faith, I think, in part because we can see what God's doing in our lives. We can see and we know the battles that each one of us are facing. It's like, oh, he's done that for you. It's like, you see, you might look at someone like, hey, they were a jailbird two years ago. Look at them now. Look at what God's doing in their heart. That's what fellowship does. It makes us realize God's work is actually possible in our lives. So loving like a mother, it's burdensome. If you don't believe me, ask Moses. Three million people whinging every single day. But it's necessary for us to have that kind of relationship with people we're discipling. It's necessary for us to have that ear in this place. As as fellow Christians, church, I submit to you, this is a bit of a wake-up call, especially for us in the West. We value multitasking. We value efficiency. We value doing things in the quickest way, least effort, most profit. Now, in business, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But in the kingdom of God, it's upside down. I almost think we, value, we need to value inefficiency. Not be governed by the clock. Not be governed by, you know, am I spending too much time here that I'm not doing that? Ministry is less about doing and more about being. Ministry is more about serving alongside one another. Now, for an instant, I'm not saying pastors can't have elders or whatever. We'd run Lewis and Hillary ragged if we didn't have that. But I'm just saying that there's, we have, there's a value in being accessible. There's a value in us being able to be with one another, knowing that we're doing life together. It was clear for Paul, Silas, and Timothy that was, they needed to be doing life with this church. And they did that everywhere they went. It's going to take time. And that's probably the hardest thing of all. We like to commit money. We like to commit other things. But time's the thing you never get back. But it's worth it. It's worth it to see what God's doing in our lives, in those who we're discipling. So he says about being a loving mother. And then finally, as we get towards the end of this, he says, not only was he like a loving mother, but he was like a father with example after example of godliness. He was a godly example to those around him. He seems to identify three kind of things that he he did. Now, I won't spend too long on this. As I said earlier, he worked. He worked. He chose to support himself. I like the language he uses here. In verse 9, he says, You remember our toil and our hardship? We worked not to be a burden to anyone. Unfortunately, Christianity's got a bad name because people seem to see it as a money pit, money tin. The church needs money. I'm not against that for a moment. But see, the gospel is less about me being a burden to others. The gospel is more about me being a help to those around me. The gospel is about, it, puts, it should put the burden in me, not on them. Do you see what I'm saying? It's about us helping need, not taking, not taking. Paul had every right to take a wage, but he's probably thinking, come on, they've been three weeks. What are they going to be able to do? Maybe they can put that aside for something else if they want to. But he chose instead to support himself. 
rather than a license for selfish gain. So he worked. Number two, he walked in holiness. He writes that we were holy, righteous, and blameless before you. We can't get away from this integrity thing. We cannot get away from it. This is what Paul is saying throughout this entire passage. He lived above reproach. And for about the fifth time, he says, God was our witness. He's not afraid to say, hey, you, you, you doubt what I'm saying? Ask God about it. God's seen. He, he, was, he was a godly example to those around him. I remember several years ago, there was a, um, I'm really going to show my age now. Uh, one of the first CDs I ever bought was uh, called Jesus Freaks by a group called DC Talk. Now, for those of you a bit younger in the audience, like who is DC Talk? If you've ever heard of Toby Mac, he was in DC Talk in the 90s. Anyway, I'm really showing my age. There's a song on there called What If I Stumble? And the start of the song has this quote by a guy called Brennan Manning. And this is a really powerful quote. It'll come up here. And it says, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. And then he says, that is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. Is it the greatest? I'm not really sure, but it's got to be up there. Our lives, believe me, church, people are watching. If Paul was living an unholy life, If Paul was convicted of the crimes that I was talking about just earlier, the church would have floundered. They saw a godly example in his life. They saw something that was worth emulating. They saw something that was worth imitating because they saw the change in his heart and they saw it was worked out in everything he said, everything he did tied back to the gospel. His life was believable. His witness was believable. And so we might ask, how do we get there? How, what's going to help us along on this journey? Paul's closing statements in this, in verse 12, he talks about his words of encouragement. Like a father dealing with his children, he encouraged, he comforted, and he urged them to live a life worthy of God. Living as he'd lived. I think it's in Philippians where Paul says, do what I do and let God's peace be with you. Not do as Jesus did, even do what I did. He knew where he stood with his God. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could say the same church? Do what I do. Just emulate me. Just copy me. That's a bit scary because people don't know what our secret lives are like. But the honest truth is God calls us to encourage one another because we were encouraged at some point to run on. I, I remember in school, my parents cheered me on when I was running, when I was studying, when I was doing music, whatever it was. Now it's come full circle for me. Now I'm doing the same with my girls. Little athletics on a Friday night. I've got to be careful. No one wants to be that kind of parent, right? But, you know, it's like, come on, you can do it. Finish, finish, finish. That is the ministry of God. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. See, the word comfort is not just, you know, lie back in your leather lounge. Comfort is like provoke, go on. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. That is what we are called to do. And that is why fellowship matters. That is why church matters. Because this is the place this happens. We stir one another for good works. That's why meeting together is so important. We can encourage one another not to give up the fight. I don't know about you, but when I feel I'm battling on my own, it's pretty discouraging. But when I suddenly discover there's others of you that are facing similar battles to me, it's like, okay, we're in this together. We're going to do this. We're going to fight this fight. If you've ever watched Survivor, 
you notice that the tribe that's got few people, they always struggle to win. Is it because of the numbers? No, it's because of collective encouragement. Because the tasks are always evened out anyway. What I'm saying is this, the smaller tribe has got less people shouting, come on, we can do it, because they've been defeated week after week. But instead, God says, don't forsake the assembly together. God says, encourage one another. God says to walk life with one another. This is how we will walk that holy life, by being encouraging to one another. So I'm going to just bring up that main point again, our authentic experience of God. Uh, Sorry, our authentic expression of faith is what helps us help others to experience Christ authentically. I'm going to close with this. Just as our authenticity helps others, just as our authenticity helps others, we think, where do we start? I'm going to suggest to you it's intimacy with God. We've got encouragement of brothers and sisters and we need that, believe me. But we are all human at the end of the day. But there's someone who never fails. There's someone who's always constant, always loving, always encouraging. And see, just as Paul was saying his his intimacy that helped breed the authentic Christians in Thessalonica, Paul got that from God to begin with. That was intimacy with God. As I said before, you can't give what you haven't received. You can't give to people what hasn't been imparted to you. It's imparted through prayer, imparted through the word, imparted through spirit, imparted through church. God works in a number of ways, but he calls us, he calls us to live an authentic life and he is our, he is our model. He is our model. Paul, Paul did great. Jesus did even better. He's God. And this is our resource. God is our source. We can't find it, humanly speaking, anywhere else. It's going to come through worship. It's going to come through walking with Him. I don't know about you, but I want my loved ones to have that authentic experience with Jesus. I want my life to not be a stumbling block to any of them. I want my life to say, hey, I'm not perfect, but I'm loving Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I want to serve Him. And I hope you can see that in my life. Let me tell you about Him. Because so often, church, sometimes you need to win the right to witness. So often our lives, if they don't line up, people don't want to know about it. But when they see God making a difference in my life, in your life, I'll guarantee you they'll be more open. Let's just pray as we close. Father, this morning, we, your people, want to be more authentic Christians, Lord. We want to be people that express our faith with integrity. We want to be people that, uh, Lord, not to be paranoid about it, Lord, but just simply to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Simply to to, to say with our, our words, but also with our actions and, Lord, our deeds, that we are people that belong to Christ. Father, we desire for our friends and our families to know you. But Lord, we also desire to grow more and more in you, Lord God. Father, we just pray that we as a body would value integrity, Lord God, because it is something so dear to your heart, Lord. You don't want your people to be one foot in the world and one foot in the church, Lord. You want us to be a people that is willing to give over time, a people that is willing to commit to the gospel, a people that is willing, Lord, just to have you reign in our hearts, Lord. 
both for the sake of our own relationship with you and the sake of others, Lord. God, I pray, Lord, for any of us who are struggling with that this morning, God, would you meet us at our point of need today, God? It is only possible through you. It is only possible by grace, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. Would you just do a work in our hearts this week, Lord God? Father, I ask for me, I ask for everyone here, Lord. May we walk with integrity. May we be brave to preach your word, Lord God. May we be a people, Lord, that are consistent. Because, Lord, that's your desire for us, Lord. It's not possible, humanly speaking, but it's only possible through Jesus. Help us, Lord Jesus. We love you. We want to bring you honour, Lord God. Because, Lord, when, when we live like that, you will truly say, well done. A life well lived, enter into your rest. Father, we just pray that we would be so committed to this, Lord God. Being authentic, being people of integrity, living in your truth, letting your gospel take its work in our hearts, Lord God. And Lord, help us, Lord, to continue to take those opportunities to share you. We desire our friends and families to know you, Lord. Bless your people today in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.